Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. We had these labels on the table and, and said, um, you know, pick one that you most associate with. And and you have to understand in the context of this that we there's a lot of trust. These are people we've been journeying with for a long time. And so these negative names that, you know, you're the, you're the scum of the earth, you're lock them up and throw away the key, you're worthless, um, you're, you know, you should rot. Um, all these, all these things that we consistently hear, um, and more. Um, ha- we had them out on labels, and they picked them up, and they, and then they talked about their stories of, of why they picked that label up, and what was their experience with that, with that name. But then, toward the end of the study, we had them actually peel the top layer off, and underneath were the names that God called them, mm-hmm. that they were, that they were precious, and. And, you know, I saw women carry those labels on their Bibles for three and four years. And that's just some of the ways that Prison Fellowship Canada is working alongside inmates. Today on Connections, we're joined by Stacey Campbell. She's the president and CEO of Prison Fellowship Canada. She's going to share a little bit about this ministry and why it's so important to have prison ministry. We're joined today by Stacey Campbell. She is the president and CEO of Prison Fellowship Canada. Her first introduction to Prison Fellowship Canada began over 30 years ago. For those who don't know, what is Prison Fellowship Canada? So Prison Fellowship Canada is an organization that uh, uh, is operating in Canada. We've been here for 42 years and we work with prisoners, ex-prisoners, their families and victims. How did you get involved with Prison Fellowship Canada? I came to Prison Fellowship Canada. It's an interesting, uh, kind of an interesting route. When I was uh, 15 years old, I was taking my first uh, my first job uh, in high school, and I worked in a real estate development office where they were giving uh, office space to a new ministry that had just started up in Canada, which was Prison Fellowship Canada. So the uh, the then um, executive director of, of the organization uh, noticed me, a little a little kid bebopping around the office, mm-hmm. and and uh, one day flew in the door and uh, with much excitement to exclaim that um, there was a fellow in grade twelve who was going to pay me fifty bucks to write his English essay, and boy wasn't <laughs> smart. And so he, you know, motioned for me to come over to him and, and we sat down and had a conversation and, and he told me why I wasn't going to get the 50 bucks and why I wasn't going to write the essay. <laughs> and that began um, a, a period of many years of spirit. He was really my first spiritual mentor and um, a, a period of years of uh, conversation, whether it be after school or during summer or that time, type of thing. So um, and then fast forward many, many years later um, when I was uh, just just in my late 30s I suppose and wanting to go back to um, wanting to go back to school and I decided to go back to school and, and do a, a master's in, in uh, divinity and what kept coming to my mind was prison ministry and even though um, Ian Stanley was the was the executive director at that time at prison fellowship and he and I never spoke about prison ministry and we never spoke about prison fellowship. I really just knew the association with his name. But when I when I went back to um, school, it was prison ministry that just kept coming to me. And I didn't want it to keep coming to me, um, but it did. And, and finally, I relented and, and decided I would go as a volunteer. 
And um, I would journey for a year with a group of women in uh, in Bible study at the Vanier Center for Women in Milton. And so that's what I uh, that's what I did. And and that very quickly led to um, an offer of employment in the um, in the organization. And and the day that I was uh, photographed to announce my coming to Prison Fellowship Canada was the day that Ian Stanley passed away. Wow. And um, and so I never did get to tell him that I took his chair, but um, but one day. <laughs> What's interesting in all of this, though, too, is you didn't even come from a Christian home to begin with, correct? Right. That's correct. So mm-hmm. it was it, like you were destined for this <laughs> all the way from your teenage years. No matter what I tried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now, that's right. That's right. And But from day one. I loved it, and even post-COVID, I can I can sit here and honestly say I I love it more today than I loved it the day I showed up, and I loved it the day I showed up. So uh, yeah, I just love it. For those who have had the opportunity to be in a prison, it is it can be intimidating, it can be scary, but when it comes to ministry and to helping people, those are broken people. What is it about this ministry now that you're in it that you absolutely love? I, what I love about it is the rawness and the truth of it. That when you sit in, um, when you sit in a study or you uh, or you sit uh, restorative justice circles or something else that I that I do in the prison and and as do many volunteers um, that are here and other staff. Um, when you sit down with a person and and work through an issue or you work through uh, work through a study work through a text in the bible it's just so bone raw um and they ask really honest questions they'll tell you when what you're saying is completely confusing and makes no sense i mean we have a scripture that says you've been crucified with christ and they'll say i wasn't crucified with christ what are you even talking about so that mm-hmm. would be an example and it really tests your own growth and maturity in your faith and how well do you actually know your own faith beyond um beyond some of those cliche answers that we've just that we've just learned um, or just learned to accept um, how do you how do you journey with someone um, at a very very real level one of the things that you enjoy is seeing when these prisoners see their value and see who they are tell us a little bit more about that yeah, so I'll, I'll share a, a brief story, and it was, I, I believe it was a Matthew West song. So when we go in to do a Bible study, we always, you know, um, play music, we pray, we have the study, and then we don't do prayer requests and, and, and pray again. That kind of is the rhythm that we're in there. But um, so one day we had played this Matthew West song um, that had to, I can't even remember the name of it, but it had to do with your name. And we brought in these labels that had all the labels that you would expect um, someone to say about a, a about a criminal or about a woman and her crimes and, and that type of thing. And we had these labels on the table and, and said, um, you know, pick one that you most associate with. And and you have to understand in the context of this that we there's a lot of trust. These are people we've been journeying with for a long time. And so these negative names that, you know, you're the, you're the scum of the earth, you're lock them up 
and throw away the key. You're worthless. Um, you're, you know, you should rot. Um, all these, all these things that we consistently hear, um, and more. Um, ha we had them out on labels, and they picked them up, and they, and then they talked about their stories of of why they picked that label up and what was their experience with that with that name. But then toward the end of the study, we had them actually peel the top layer off, and underneath were the names that God called them, mm -hmm. that they were, that they were precious, and. And, you know, I saw women carry those labels on their Bibles for three and four years um, later that, that um, you know, that, that meant that had so much impact in reorienting them that, that the truth of Christ and the good news of Christ was that they really could be forgiven um, and the journey through confession and repentance is really really hard work to tell the truth and, and change behavior. I mean, look at the whole diet industry. If you want to study mm -hmm. changing behavior, there's mm -hmm. it's hard for anybody. Change behavior is hard. Um, but that but that Christ sees the best in us, um, forgives the worst in us, and will journey with you to that, you know, to being your best self. What is it like to, as you said, you work over years with these people, you gain that trust. What is it like to see that transition when they finally, they see that value and they realize that, wow, you know, there's more to me. There's more to this life than just what's happening right now. It, it's, it's the reward. It's the drug for us, right? <laughs> <laughs> you get to see that kind of transformation. People actually physically change their face physically changes we've wow. we've seen that over and over and over um where if you put their picture beside them you may when they came in you may not be able to recognize them now and um it's just a beautiful thing and it multiplies on um to those that become their cellmates and and it multiplies and has an impact in the uh in the institution and it's it's what keeps you going. There's a lot of dark days when you when you go in as well, and and those days where you see someone really figure out they have dignity and they're a real person, and they do have a future. Um, it's beautiful. I mean, there's to me, there's nothing like it. <laughs> how important? Obviously, we're hearing all these amazing reasons, but how important is it to have a minister, a prison ministry, and just having this ministry around? Oh, um. I mean, I'm biased. <laughs> um, I'm very biased, but uh, I mean, it's life. It's it, it contributes in so many um, in so many social impact ways. You know, when we work with our ex offenders, we have we have statistics that show that we can we can take a recidivism rate, which is the rate somebody um, goes back to prison and commits another crime and goes back to prison. You know, that in the provincial system, standard in one year is around forty percent. Um, and we have statistics that show we're under 10%. So there are these real social um, impacts, but there's also an impact rating the institution um, while they're there on violence. Um, reading scripture brings down anxiety um, in people and, and um, yeah, curbs the violence. And, and it's really important. It's, it's a charter right. But it's it's really, really important. Without it, you don't have the chance to soften. You don't have the chance to to the opportunity for transformation. You, you don't even have the vocabulary to articulate 
what you're working on or what you could be working on internally. And so without that work, then you just you just continue in that hardness of heart and go back out. There's definitely that chance for change and transformation. Uh, one thing that we forget about when people are incarcerated is their family and the people back home. Not only is that person that has been incarcerated affected, but the family is affected greatly. One great thing about Prison Fellowship Canada is not only do you work with inmates, you also help the families. Can you share a little bit more about that? Mm -hmm. So we have an Angel Tree program and the Angel Tree program uh, seeks to care for both the children who have an incarcerated parent and then the caregivers. So in Canada, we have over 75,000 grandparents raising their children's children. And, and so that's an example of someone who didn't intend, you know, they've raised their child, their child's out, and now they've got this grandchild who's maybe three or four years older. Um, you know, a, a, a boy is a whole bundle of energy anywhere you know, from, well, from birth to, to, to the end, I think boys are yes. a of energy. <laughs> personal experience, um, which is wonderful. And, um, but now, you know, somebody who's in their seventies or eighties, who's in a one bedroom, now has maybe two or three children in the living room on chairs and couches and they're on a pension and now they're caring for these children so so twice a year we we do angel tree camps in the summer that's um, going on right now we're signing up all kinds of kids right now for for camp so that gives the caregiver a, a respite for one week um which isn't much in the in the in the <laughs> the whole scheme of a year but it's huge it's like a vacation for them as well so we sponsor kids to um to christian camps right across canada and they get a, a chance to go and learn some social skills and some sports skills and and um you know be in the outdoors particularly if they're urban children or or um inner city kids um you know they're out in the out in the trees and in, out in the environment and creation and and they have a chance to see just how much god loves them and hear about how much god loves them and then um, come back year after year and meet those friends and establish uh, friendships in a place where it's not known that your parents are incarcerated and, and the stigma um, that they might experience in a school isn't, um, isn't there. And the, and the research proves that children that have that opportunity uh, for connection and, and uh, social, uh, social growth do better um, academically, they do better in sports, they're more likely to initiate in a friendship. Um, so there's a whole, and, and there's a whole host of other other um, things that um, that are really, really healthy for them. And then we also connect, we allow incarcerated parents at Christmas time to initiate um, an application and send a gift to the child on behalf of them. Mm -hmm. And so that connection of knowing I'm known, I'm remembered, um, even if it's an incarcerated parent, <laughs> um, there's a huge value to them still being um, connected with their, their children. And then we have year-round events that connect out of that, kind of ad hoc across the country, um, different things where we, where we look at the needs of the angel tree kids in terms of... Um, gaining social capital and and being able to um, be involved in the church and, and youth groups and, and that type of thing. And that's another thing that people forget about is, you know, that person may be out of jail, has moved on in their life, has changed their ways, but there's still a stigma 
that's surrounding these people? How do we get people to change their minds and to open up their minds and realize that these are these are people? These are people that have made the effort to change. We're, um, I think the Bible is, is the place where we're called sheep. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, we are, we kind of follow the, the rhetoric that, that gets spoken about, uh, about prison and prisoners. And, and my encouragement is always to, you know, think, think longer term. Um, these people are coming back to the community. Not every person who's committed a crime is in the prison. We have many people who've mm-hmm. committed crimes who are in our communities already. But we have such an ingrained um, satisfaction in punishment. And, and to really reflect on that and think through that and play the longer game. If, if redemption is possible, if behavioral change is possible, um, then these people are coming back to our community. So how do we want them? Um, I think that's a I think that's a really important question to ask ourselves. And and what in all these hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years, has punishment accomplished? That's a great way to look at it. That is definitely. I want to go back to Prison Fellowship Canada, and I want to talk a little bit more about some of the programs that are offered there. I'm just looking at the website there. There's plenty. There's plenty. Can you tell us a little bit? Give us a summary of some of the programs that are offered through Prison Fellowship Canada. So our we have four four core programs. Our our first core program addresses um, uh, prisoners, and it is called our Faith and Justice series. So within Faith and Justice, we have um, Bible studies, we have life skills, um, life skill programs for people um, that know they're going to be reintegrating into the community. Uh, we have a, a um, our, we have our restorative justice uh, curriculum, which works with surrogate victims and offenders, uh, where they share a, a like crime, but they're not each other's victim and offender. So we do circles um, and talk about um, what is crime. We talk about accountability. We talk about accountability without blaming, minimizing, justifying, and how do we how do we bring a prisoner to the point where they actually take a a um, responsibility for their crime and and then we pair them up with uh with surrogate victims and they share each other's stories and it's very very powerful work we have another program called pfc by phone and that was the birth that was birthed out of covid uh, when we were shut out of the prisons and could no longer get in we had a phone line that we were able to reach prisoners with so now um, we have that uh, right across the country a phone line where prisoners can call from 9 a.m to 9 p.m seven days a week and have a 20-minute um, call for spiritual friendship and and prayer and just to ask the questions maybe they wouldn't want to ask in a group um, and it's a lifeline for many with mental health um, issues as well. Our third program is our bridge care program, and, and we call it bridge care because we understand that there's a need for somebody in, in the transition gap. Someone who's sitting in prison and who may have committed a robbery isn't going to get out one day and, and end up in a, in a pew at a church um, without issues. So, um, so our bridge care program, we have a group of two, two to three people that, um, walk and journey with someone who's leaving a prison for anywhere from about three to 24 months, just to transition them safely into community and to make sure the community is safe. Um, so a really, really, 
um, powerful and effective program. And then finally, the Angel Tree program is our fourth program, which we which we spoke about. That is absolutely amazing. We forget about all these things, even the reintegrating and getting back into the world. In your time with Prison Fellowship Canada, do you have any moments or memories that really just stand out of of just a real transformation with someone, something that has impacted you so much that it is on your mind constantly? I had I had one woman that I worked. I, I mean, I could tell I could tell stories all day long, Colin, but I'll just yes. I'll just tell. <laughs> as soon as you ask the question, I just go to the first one that came to my mind. So so one of the stories uh, was a was a woman that I worked with um, in a in a federal prison who had been um, convicted of a very very serious crime and and. Um, we personally got along really well. She attended a lot of our studies and different things, but um, wanted to go into the restorative justice work, but but couldn't go into the restorative justice work because she just continued to claim that she was she was innocent. And she really struggled with that. And 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 one day I said to her, I used to visit her weekly. And, and one day I said to her, you know, there may come a time where your memory changes or your level of safety with me changes, or something just might change. And you may tell me I was guilty. And I just want you to know nothing will change between us mm-hmm. if that happens. And 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 that's all I said. And then we went on to the next thing, and, and that was that. And so months and months and months go by, and it was really toward the end of that year that one day we were sitting in a room um, talking, and she mouthed the word, I did it. Wow. I mouthed back, I know. And, um, but nothing changes between you and I. We're going to continue to journey through this. So the next time I saw her, she brought me the transcript from her court proceeding. And she said, would you read this transcript of the whole court proceeding while I read your Bible so that I never lie to you again. Wow. And that was really meaningful to me. Wow. It, it really felt surreal almost to hear she was reading my Bible and I was reading her court um, transcript for a very, very serious crime. And um, and we continue on and, and um, she's in for 25 years and, and um, you know, we continue, we continue to meet and journey through her story as a woman, as a person, and as a prisoner. How do we as Christians and as the church do a better job at, at loving these people? I think being aware of the opportunities and, and, and praying through what's your own calling. And, you know, not everybody is called to prison ministry. <laughs> neither is there nobody called to, <laughs> called to prison ministry. And I think... Um, you know, getting educated and 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 getting getting the awareness for yourself of of what it actually is. Um, it's not about being sympathetic to people who commit crimes. It's actually not what it's about. It's obedience to a calling um, that God, who bookends prison ministry from the from Isaiah, where he's first heralded and told by the prophet Isaiah that uh, that that Christ's ministry is going to happen. Prison ministry is is mentioned, and in Matthew 25, which is Jesus's last public teaching, he brings up prison ministry. Um, it's important. It's it's important to us as Christians. So, 
So at what level are you being called to to support? Is it prayer? Is it actually going in? Is it traveling with an ex-offender? Is it, um, you know, uh, p- paying $35 for a Christmas gift once a year? Um, yeah, to what to what degree um, is God calling you? And for churches that are interested in getting involved in One Help Out, how can they go about doing that? So going on our website, which is just www.prisonfellowship.ca, if you go on that, you'll see all, all about us and, and how to contact us and and everything is everything is there on uh, to uh, to connect with us and and if you have a, a, a small group um, in your church, we will certainly come out and we provide all the all the training. We journey with you, so it's you know the shared experience um, mitigates kind of the fear that you have. I remember how terrible <laughs> the time I was going into a into a prison and and uh, and then I remember the feeling shortly after that of feeling more scared when I came out because. <laughs> The people who had committed crimes were caught in one place and they weren't caught in community. And um, and so that fear actually dissipates really quickly. And isn't it interesting? Do not fear that uh, how many times that's mentioned in the Bible. Do not fear. If God's calling you to it, he'll equip you. For those who may have that fear, what would you say to them? I'd say um, that's pretty normal. And why wouldn't you have <laughs> you have that fear? It's pretty it's pretty precious to to um, to have public safety. It's pretty precious to be safe in yourself. And so I'd say that's pretty normalized. And I'd say take courage and pray into that. Um, pray into that and see where God leads you. Thank you so much for making time for us this morning. My pleasure. And thank you for listening and for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.